rich kids, you know. All right, well, welcome to Mission Gathering. <laughs> the final day of Pride Month, the Supreme Court ruled that businesses could refuse services to a person based on their sexuality because of religious beliefs. Religion as an excuse to discriminate. It's old news. It's been around for thousands of years. But the roots here in America go back even before the U.S. started. The USA, the country whose independence was celebrated this past week. We know the story of the pilgrims of the Mayflower, the childhood story, that the pilgrims came to America to escape religious persecution and find freedom. And their governor, John Winthrop, called it a shining city on a hill, a beacon of light where everyone can come and practice their faith freely. That is the sanitized version. Slightly misleading version. The story, the real story of the first encounter between Europeans in the United States came with a French Protestant colony in 1564 at Fort Caroline, and that's near Jacksonville, Florida, on the east coast, right on the border. And that was 1564, which was more than half a century before the Mayflower set sail. We didn't hear about the story in school, though. So 1564, the French pilgrims came to America also in search of religious freedom. But a year later, their hopes were dashed when Spanish Christians arrived. So 1565, the Spanish wiped out the French Protestants. And the Spanish commander, Pedro de Aviles, wrote to the King Philip II that he had hanged all those we had found because they were scattering the odious Lutheran doctrine in these provinces those scandalous Lutherans. And then hundreds of survivors of a shipwrecked French fleet washed up on the beaches of Florida, and they were slaughtered by the Spanish Christians. So the first encounter between European Christians and America ended in a bloodbath. Most of the violence in the first few hundred years in America was not between Christians and atheists or Christians and Muslims or Christians and Hindus. It was between Christians and Christians, different denominations, Catholic versus Protestant, Lutheran versus uh, Presbyterian, and it ended in violent bloodbaths. This bloody history is the basis of a church joke. It's an old church joke. It goes like this. Once I saw a guy on a bridge about to jump, and I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or are you a Jew? He said, a Christian. He said, me too. Uh, Catholic or Protestant? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. Uh, what denomination? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern uh, conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? He said, Great Lakes region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region Council of 1879 or Council of 1912? He said, Council of 1912. I said, die heretic, and I pushed him over the bridge. Cheesy, cheesy joke. But it reflects a deep truth that for Hundreds of years, there have been violent, violent 
battles between Christians of just slightly different denominations. Uh, one denomination thinks we should baptize kids. Another one doesn't. So let's kill each other over it. The calls for religious freedom from the pilgrims, the Puritans, were really calls to practice a very particular version of Christianity that they wanted to practice, that the Church of England would not let them practice. So it wasn't so much we want a place of religious freedom where anyone can practice their religion. It was we want a place of religious freedom where we can practice our religion and make other people practice our version of Christianity. But did you know that the very first um, Baptist church in America was formed by a man who was considered a heretic? Roger Williams was exiled from the Massachusetts Bay Colony uh, in 1635 for believing that the state should not enforce um, religious belief. He believed in the separation of church and state, and he was a heretic for that view. He also believed that we should not take land from the native people, and we should not mistreat the native people. He believed that we should not enslave uh, the women and children of the indigenous people, and he was seen as a heretic for that. Uh, so he was exiled. But what's interesting is the Baptists, my family tradition, Southern Baptist, began with progressive roots. The Puritans criticized the Church of England for not going far enough in living out Christian values. Roger Williams criticized the colonists for not going far enough. He said, you're still not going far enough in living out Christian values. But this year, the Southern Baptist Convention carried on the tradition of exiling heretics. They banished the largest church. Y'all remember Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life book? His church, Saddleback, was the largest uh, church in the Southern Baptist Convention. And they hired a woman as a pastor. So the Southern Baptist Convention voted over 90% to banish them from the denomination. 300 years ago, Anne Hutchinson was exiled by the same authorities who exiled Roger Williams, Governor John Winthrop, the guy who said this is a shining city on a hill for religious freedom. He exiled Anne because she preached. That was it. She also believed that a person could have a personal connection with Jesus apart from the church. And because she believed that, she was called a heretic. Governor John Winthrop called her a demon and called her children demonic. So when Anne was put to trial, Governor John Winthrop, and she was kind of cornered, and she responded, You have no power over my body. Neither can you do me any harm, for I am in the hands of the eternal Jehovah, my Savior. Anne was killed in 1643, and John Winthrop said it was a blessing from God that God had killed her because of her heresy. Religious discrimination continued in the early country. 1777, New York banned Catholics from holding public office. In Maryland, New York's neighbor, they gave Catholics full rights, but Jews did not have full rights. A couple years later, 1779, Thomas Jefferson, governor of Virginia at the time, said, it does me no injury for my neighbor to say there are 20 gods or no god. It neither picks my pocket nor breaks my leg. 
And then a few years later, 1784, Patrick Henry, the give me liberty or give me death dude, he wanted the state to support Christian teachers. So James Madison, founding father, stepped in and wrote a famous essay on why the state should not support any particular religion. My family in town from Missouri this past week. The governor of Missouri just signed a bill this past week that will allow public schools to offer a course on the Bible. I say that to say the separation of church and state is still a debate today. We're still talking about it. We're still trying to figure out whether we should have a separation of church and state, even though it is part of our founding documents. But I get the feeling Christians would probably be upset if that Missouri governor allowed a class on the Quran. Parents probably would not be too happy about that. My father shared a story last week that I had not heard relevant to this topic of religious discrimination. 1968, the Supreme Court had heard a case from South Carolina um, where a white supremacist, Maurice Bessinger, owned a barbecue restaurant. He refused service to a black man, John Mungan. John was a Baptist preacher. Maurice believed that races should be strictly segregated. John Mungan said his rights were violated because of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, a few years earlier. But Bessinger's lawyers responded, Bessinger believes as a matter of faith that racial intermixing or any contribution thereto contravenes the will of God. So Bessinger and his attorneys said he had First Amendment rights to deny service because of his religious views. Sounds familiar, the recent case, LGBTQ rights. We're still having these conversations today around sexuality. We look at this now and say, of course that was wrong, to deny someone service because of their race and to say uh, that it was because of your faith and your religion that you believed that. I posted an email to uh, the church this past week about why we celebrate LGBTQ pride because i um, had received, Kylie and I both had received some messages about our pride pictures on Facebook and um, some of those comments of we should not celebrate pride because we should not celebrate sin. Um, and I got one comment a couple days ago, God does not take pride in sin. The prayer emoji, which is just kind of a nice little bless your heart at the end. I love the prayer emoji, just gives off such a great little vibe. Just makes it a sweet little comment. Be careful what you post on my wall because I might mention it in a sermon. <laughs> when I look at the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, I disagree with this person. And here's why. Here are two of, of many examples from Jesus. In ancient Judaism, leprosy was a symbol of sinfulness. So to touch a leper would make you unclean. And Leviticus says that if you touch a person with a skin condition, it would make you guilty, like a sinner. But Matthew 8, a man with leprosy asks Jesus for healing, and Jesus touches the leper. And what's interesting is he did other healings where he just used a word, and he healed the person. But in this case, he chose to touch the leper. He was crossing the boundary on purpose. He sinned. 
He was unclean when he did that. He chose to break the law. And I believe God was proud of that. It was wrong. It was sinful for a man in Jesus' day to talk with a woman. But Jesus privately spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well who was in need of help. He broke the law, their interpretation of the law, when he talked to one, a woman, to a woman who is a Samaritan. And I believe God was proud of that. Jesus broke the law. He sinned in the eyes of religious leaders in order to show love and mercy and kindness. And that's what he was calling people towards. Their interpretation, the religious leaders of the Bible said it was sinful to work on the Sabbath. So one Sabbath, the religious leaders noticed a man with a disability. And they asked Jesus if it's lawful to heal a man on the Sabbath, trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus kind of calls them out. He says, if your sheep falls in the pit on the Sabbath, you're going to get the sheep out. This person who is hurting, is he not more important than your sheep? So, of course, it's okay to help someone on the Sabbath. So Jesus reached out and he healed the person. He broke the law. He sinned in the eyes of the religious leaders. And I believe God was proud of that sin. Matthew 23, Jesus said, Mercy, kindness, and justice are more important than religious rules. So what if in these discussions of the law and the Bible, the question is not, what does the Bible say about this situation? The question instead should be, what does love look like in this situation? I took a class in seminary on Christian ethics, and seminary professor used a book by Joseph Fletcher um, called Situation Ethics. And this came out in, I believe, the 60s. And it brought up a radical idea that what is ethical and right in any situation depends on the context. What's right in one situation may not be right in another. What's sinful in one situation may not be in another. It depends on the context. So he posed this question in his book, what does love require? That should be the question we ask to determine what to do in any situation. And it was a radical book. He was a Christian. What's interesting is that my grandma, a Southern Baptist pastor's wife, gave my dad this book in the 60s. And so when I saw my seminary professor told us to get this book, I said, I have that book. My dad gave it to me, and his mom gave it to him. And that was so encouraging to me that even within a um, denomination that was very rigid, that was very black and white of what is sin and what is not, my grandparents maybe had a more open mind than I realized to look at the context of the situation. So what if when someone says, well, what the Bible says about this, they're actually saying their particular interpretation of the Bible says this. So what if the question becomes, Instead of what is right or what is wrong or what is sinful or what is not, what is the most life-giving, loving, merciful thing we can do in this situation? And that takes a lot of work and a lot of compassion and a lot of understanding. It's a lot easier to say the Bible says this is wrong, so that's what we avoid. 
a lot harder to say, what's the background of each person? What are they going through? What are their hurts? What do they need in this moment? Why did they do this behavior? What's the story behind that? That takes a lot of emotional energy, but that's what love requires. That's how love heals and transforms. So what if our Fortune 500 companies were not based on profits, but on helping people flourish and have a livable wage? What if our government made policies not around uh, what's right or wrong or what's legal or illegal? What if they made policies around what is life-giving? And what is loving for people? So what if our families ask this question, what does love look like in this moment? Not obey or disobey. What does love look like in this moment? So what if our thoughts about ourselves are not, is this right or wrong? Or the shame I feel about this behavior or this thing I did. What if my thinking is, what does love and compassion towards myself look like in this moment? The reason that I share some of these stories of Roger Williams and Anne Hutchinson, some of our founding fathers, is because that the events today around the government, LGBTQ rights, can be really overwhelming and scary and frustrating and feels like we're going back in time. Yet despite history of using religion to discriminate, Every step of the way, there were people who opposed that discrimination. People who said that is wrong. People who spoke up for inclusion and tolerance and compassion. So you are those today who are carrying that message. That love is more important than rules. That love is more important than religion. You are here to choose people over religion. I love this Oh, I didn't include it. I think it's in there, though. I want to show you this cartoon. I think it's on my computer. Oh, oh maybe it's not. No, I don't remember. Y'all know the Naked Pastor? He had a great cartoon where a trans person was walking away um, and said, he's a sheep, and Jesus is carrying this trans person. And the church says, we kicked them out. And Jesus says, I know, and I found them. The people that the church excludes, Jesus embraces. And that's what we are to do. And people and church and religion will keep excluding. And it's just so ironic because Jesus did the complete opposite, which is why it's important to have faith communities like this to say that is not what Jesus did. That is not a representation of Christ. That is not a representation of a God of love. So when you choose to embrace, to be tolerant, to be compassionate, that is the way of Christ. And that's why it's important that churches like Mission Gathering exist because there are still a lot of churches 
that will not include and that are committed to excluding because of their interpretation of the Bible, because they put their theology over people. That is sinful. That is against Christ. So we will not do that. I'm so glad that you are with us in that. So keep fighting the good fight. Keep loving. Keep putting people over theology.